Join author and former Vibe Editor-in-Chief Danielle Smith and Black Girl Songbook as she celebrates and uplifts the talent of Black women in the music industry. Tune in for in-depth discussions with your favorite songwriters, producers, and artists, as well as anecdotes from Danielle. Plus, you'll hear the songs of Black women who changed the landscape of American music forever. Check out Black Girl Songbook exclusively on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud or standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Real ones, Logan Murdoch here, Raja Bell. We've given you guys Miro. We've given you guys Boris Diaw. The streets are well fed right now. But we got my guy, Paolo Ugetti, later in the show. Lock in on that. I think the theme of this episode is like fuchsia colors and pink and orange and things like that. We're really bright today this morning, bro. We're really ready to go. How you doing, dude? I'm good. I got my coffee. Um, Son's got a dub last night. Some MVP mm. chance in the desert. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm straight. I heard that in a while. I heard, heard that, that in a while. Minute. At, at least legitimate MVP a- chance in the according desert. According to Logan Murdoch, the last time I heard it, it was um, it was narrative driven. So, I, I mean, this one is. I mean, is this narrative or is this just Chris Paul doing what he what he does? Chris Paul's doing what he does. Let's 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 paint the picture, man. The Phoenix Suns have clinched a playoff berth for the first time since 2010. That's a decade. I was in high school then. You were still in the league Chill, when that happened. Bro. I'm just saying, you were. St- <laughs> I'm not chilling shit. You were still in the league. That's a long time ago. Yeah. Right. Um, they beat the Clippers, mm-hmm. albeit without Kawhi Leonard, but they are in the postseason. The Phoenix Suns are in the postseason. Honestly, a legitimate title contender. Are the are the Phoenix Suns for real, Raja Bell? Yeah, are they they're for, for real? real? No, they're for real. Now they're. I mean, and look, I, this isn't just with my heartstrings talking right now. Um, and I think we both came on when we were doing our preseason kind of rankings and sprites. We both had Phoenix being a good team. It, it, it kind of, they weren't like shot out of a rocket or a cannon to start the season. It's kind of gradually built up. Um, and a lot of people deserve their flowers out there. Um, I'm going to mm. give Robert Sarver some love. Like, I don't do this mm. often, right? James Jones was a great hire. It was a great hire. Monty, great hire for that, for that team. Both of them are doing phenomenal jobs. Um, James uh, swinging the deal to get Chris Paul. We said at the time that we thought it was going to really tie some things together out there. You could start to see the roadmap to where you want to go as a franchise. 
Um, and they're they're following the map. Like they're on their way and they're for real. We talk, I talk about these two stats, like with the NBA, with the NBA offensive and defensive efficiency, man, you gotta be top 10 for me to really consider you in, in the thick of things. Now they're outliers. Like Brooklyn's offense is so great that we'll see yeah. if it can overcome their lack of defensive prowess. The Phoenix mm-hmm. Suns, um, the Utah Jazz, the Milwaukee Bucks. And I don't think that there's another team that checks both of those boxes. So when you ask me if they're for real, the answer is unequivocally yes, they are for real. Yeah, no, I I, I believe so as well. And I think that when you to your point about them, <clears throat> excuse me, the, your point about them maybe like not even a fast start, just a solid start to the season. When you talk about that, that makes perfect sense. They're a new team in COVID, you know, a different a different type of training camp, a different things to do. But they had the pieces, man. I love what they have on their team. They, it's it's Chris Paul helping out a lot of dudes, but. That means Devin Booker's getting off. Aiden's playing well. Has to get his defense back up. He has to get his defense up in general. Mikel Bridges, love him. I really love this team um, in general. And so that's something that I was expecting, though. I was expecting more of a, like maybe a four or five seed, you know, maybe in the next year they maybe take the jump. Why are they taking the jump in the way that they're taking it right now as opposed to the gradual thing of that's something that we talked about in the start of the season? That that's a really that's a really good question. Um, you know, again, I would I I always default to like defensive um, chops and whether that can be the identity of your team because I know that Devin Booker is one of the best offensive talents in the league. Um, I know what Chris Ball does in terms of orchestrating offense and allowing people who who may not be phenomenal one on one players to eat and be better offensively because of what he does in setting the table. I played with great guards. I played with Steve Nash. Steve Nash allowed me to average 15 points a game. I wasn't a 15-point-a-game score, but Steve knew how to get me the ball where I liked it, and so now I'm probably playing out of my or above my level offensively. I know that's going to happen. What I don't know is going to happen is whether Monty can get to this relatively young team and get them to really buy into the defensive end. Um, Now, uh, Chris Paul certainly helps that. They have some great defensive pieces on that team, but I think that's why... You know, they are sitting there at the second. They've paired a, a really, really good offense and a good group of young offensive talent with some real defensive uh, prowess. And I think what ties that all together is the one piece of Chris Paul. I'm not saying that he is the best player on that team. I'm not saying that everyone on that team doesn't deserve um, credit. Mikhail Bridge is also a great defensive piece. But I think his veteran leadership and that steady hand in the locker room, someone who is not afraid to hold people accountable, someone who's been in those wars and knows how to handle teammates. Um, I don't think that you could put a price tag on that. I don't I don't know that you can. I think the Chris Paul element, obviously, is the biggest one there because I think there's something to be said when you, you know, you do have a young team, but you have an older guy who's been through the wars, who's been through the uh, big games before to help you in the postseason because it doesn't matter, you know, how good you are in the regular season. When you're a young team, it's totally different. Totally different ball game when you see the postseason for the first time. And to have a calming influence like Chris Paul um, is huge for them. And I think that uh, I think the Knicks game uh, recently was a big example of that where he hits a huge shot down the stretch um, to help win that game. But just to have that calming presence down the stretch really, really helps, right, Raja? Don't you, don't you think that? Because when when a guy is can, oh man. When, when there's a game when Devin Booker is, man, I don't know, like down the stretch, not to say he's going to get queasy down the stretch, but, you know, the postseason is a different thing. When, when this team gets queasy, 
throw it to Chris Paul. We'll see. We'll see what we can do with it. How big is that when you do get into the postseason? Let me answer it. It's absolutely huge. And let me take a step back and just address some of the moves that were made as I continue to give James his flowers. Right? We talked about Jay Crowder when they Say signed his Jay Crowder. What's his nickname? What's his nickname? Joops. Joops, Joops, baby. Jay Hoops, Joops. So when Joops, when Joops went out and signed Jay Crowder, what we say? Man, that's a great piece. That's a guy been in the trenches, can trust him defensively in those moments. Hard-nosed. He is, he, his DNA is what is what you want in playoff type of teams. Torrey Craig, mm-hmm. right? Another guy. Put it in the yes. bucket. But man, he's flying around making plays defensively on the glass. You're talking about pieces that they saw for like the toughness. Um, and the ability to get out there, defend multiple positions uh, and, and be tough, right? So now let me get to Chris Paul. Chris Paul's not going to carry you every game offensively, right? I don't even know that no. his legs have that in him anymore. But Chris Paul, given the opportunity, if someone else isn't cooking and their number one, Devin Booker, isn't playing, is fully capable of taking over for a quarter of basketball. And the luxury of having a dude who can sit back, facilitate, really orchestrate your offense and make sure that everyone is cooking um, is, is, is great. But then to have him have the ability, if all of that's not working in the fourth quarter to say, all right, I got you put on, put you guys hop on my back. I'm gonna carry us home. That's a luxury that, that again, there's not a price tag you can put on that, man. That is, that is really special stuff to be able to flip that switch. Only the great ones can do that. Real talk. Only the great ones can sit back, parlay, let everybody else eat, do their thing. And then when you need them to, boom, I got you guys. I'll carry you the last seven minutes offensively. Give me the ball. I mean, I'd imagine that that takes a lot of bit, a, a, a bit of um, ego, but also humility, right? The ego to be able to be like, no, I got this. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the best at this in the league historically ever, right? But then to have the humility to be like, boom, you go ahead. You got this. Don't trip. It's all good. I got you. And facilitate the offense. And then when you guys need me, I'm here. You know, and I, I do think that that's a, a a bit of a a good trait to have in general, but also as an older player, a great trait to have. And I think that you saw that last year with uh, with Chris in Oklahoma City, where you know a guy that you know I think he did he didn't average twenty points by any means, you know. But Shay, this is how you I'm gonna develop you, little bro. Like, uh, I'm gonna give you the ball. This is how you cook. I remember watching um, Chris Paul uh, early last season. Uh, going to a game in Oklahoma City and watching him play. And it was one of those things, right, where his presence on the floor was good enough at that point because he is telling guys what to do. He is pulling guys to the side. And, hey, if you need a big shot, it's cool. I- I- I'll drop off, like, six straight points, and then I'll-, I'll finish with 16 points in the game. I'm not the leading scorer, but I definitely made my mark. And you knew that um, – you knew my value to the team. So I'm really excited to see what Chris Paul does. That He don't got to average 25 a game. And that was never his game anyway, but he doesn't have to do that. And sure. I'm excited to see – what what he can do with that? What's up, Roger? Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt, but here's what he needs to do. Um, and I, I, he needs to stay healthy because that's kind of been yes. that's kind of been what's derailed some of the seasons where he's had opportunities um, to maybe get over the hump. A la the Houston, you know, a few years ago. He's guys guys stay healthy, and he'll have a shot. I do think, you know, when you talk about Chris Paul, you have to give credit to his teammates as well because I know this about Chris Paul. He is not an an easy dude um, in in terms of I'm going to let you get away with this and I'm not going to say shit. And that can be tough in today's 
world, not just the NBA. Like, you know, everything is different. Like our coaches don't speak to us the same way that your coach spoke to you, right? Like they're not allowed to speak the same way Jerry Sloan may have spoken to us. It's a different world. But Chris Paul is cut from that cloth. He will MF you like until you get right and hold you accountable. And not everyone can deal with a, a on court leader like that. So I want to just give some yeah. credit to the cats that are buying into Chris Paul, like his teammates that are saying, Hey man, we recognize the greatness and what you've done, wherever you've been, we'll accept that leadership. Like I'll take that. How much of that is, well, one age, but also that, you know, he's played with a guy like Monty Williams before and Monty Williams isn't going to undermine Chris Paul's leadership, right? Where Chris Paul says something, it's probably, that's what it is, man. Like that's your point guard. That's what it is. Um, and I'd imagine also Chris Paul, his influence is not going to affect Devin Booker because Devin Booker is just a real one, bro. Devin Booker is going to, from all accounts, is going to take that and be like, I bet I got you. Don't trip. So when you have your two best players doing that, I think doesn't everyone else fall in line when you have your two best players doing being having that attitude and mindset and you have Monty Williams, who's been with both of those guys before. Does that help just, yeah, that everyone else fall in line? Yeah, I think it works. I think any coach who has a player like Chris Paul and tries to undermine their ability to lead, you're shooting yourself in the foot ultimately because that's what he's there for. He's there to lead. He's there for his experience, not just his talent. So if you were to, you know, and there are some coaches that will, Mm -hmm. it's my way. It's not going to be Chris's way. It's my way. The best coaches, it's our way. We figure this out. So some days it might be my way. Some days it might be Chris's way, but together we win. Um, So yes, it does take money and that helps. And I think we're taking for granted though, that everyone's built like Devin Booker. They're not. Every great offensive player you see in this league or great player isn't built like that. They're not built to have somebody come in and say, hey, young fella, listen to me. I've been there. I can help you. And you've seen it play out time and time again where dudes get run out of a town and afterwards they're talking about those dudes. You've seen it. So we're taking for granted that every really good young player is built of the same stuff that Devin Booker is, and they're not. So I do, I agree with you 100%. All that familiarity works and helps it tie together. But the receptiveness of of a Devin Booker, the ability for Monty to understand what they're trying to do there and let Chris spread his wings in that leadership role is is critical. Now you talked about Chris Paul and you know that leadership aspect, and we know that it hasn't always been at least received the right in, in the way that he would like it to be received. Do you think that this helps his legacy? You know, we're in legacy talk right now, Roger. Do you think that this helps him um, in the overall picture of Chris Paul? that he's having these, this this type of success on the back end of his career where he's like, yo, I'm putting my arm around these teams and they're being successful. Like, say, in a world where, I don't know, the Phoenix Suns win a title this year, right? Where they just, you know, they go on a run and they win a title and no one expected that. Does that help out with Chris Paul and be like, and vindicate him in a lot of ways and be like, yo, I was just being a hard ass, but it worked in the end? Undoubtedly. I mean, if he were to win a chip, you know, that's the that's the piece missing on his mantle right now like that's the only thing you could say is missing from that resume and so that box is checked um you know guys like chris paul to some degree i i, I want to be careful how i do this because people always get up in arms like you're comparing yourself to chris paul i am not in any way shape or form but the mentality that chris paul has is one that i respect and one that i got down with i am not here to make mm-hmm. friends i'm not here for that shit i'm here to Straight win up. 
And I'm here to do what I can do to win games. And that's always been Chris Paul's approach. Um, now, I'll make friends along the way because I'll find kindred spirits. Guys will be built in, you know, and, and for the ride the same way I am, built of the same stuff, and, and you ultimately make friends. But I'm not going to feel any kind of way if you're offended, if you got thin skin, if you can't be held accountable. That's not my responsibility, dog. Like, my responsibility yeah. is to go out there and try to win games. And that's what Chris does. So... Look, they dropped him off in Oklahoma City. Was that two years ago now? The man was yeah. left for dead. The franchise was left for dead. I was one of the people saying, He didn't even Damn, think bro. he was going to play for, we didn't think he was going to play the whole season. Didn't even think he was going to play the whole season. Like, all he did was keep that thing afloat and have him viable and, and help young fellas out along the way. So any naysayers or anybody who throws shade at Chris Paul's name just because, you know, he approached it, you know, the way he approached it and held people accountable and sometimes could get fiery and feisty, then you just missed the whole point. Like, he is an ultimate competitor. We praise Kobe for that. We praise MJ for that. We praise Larry Bird for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, Tom Brady. We were watching MJ. We were watching, uh, <laughs> we were, uh, <laughs> we were watching, everybody watched The Last Dance, right? And there's a clip, a singular clip. And I think that that, when they're running and, and like Mike says, I wouldn't put anybody through that that I wouldn't go through because I put you guys through all the shit and, and demand everything that I that I demand for myself. And he started getting teary eyed. I saw you could you can separate the people who feel Mike and who don't feel Mike, and you see what kind of people each person are. Right when they're like, "No, Mike, you shouldn't do it like that. You shouldn't. Why are you Why are you being an asshole to these people like that?" And I was, this was one of the first, and I was, I remember just being like from the outside looking in on that camp, but like, Mike, you could treat your teammates better. But like, I was young, I didn't know any, I wasn't around the game then. When I saw Mike say what he said during that, I was like, I was damn near emotional. I was like, I feel you, dude. Like, yeah, you want it. You want it. And I think that Mike's cut from that cloth. Larry's cut from that cloth. Kobe's cut from that cloth. I think Booker's cut from that cloth. Chris Paul is obviously cut from that cloth. And you kind of see when when the um, Russell Westbrook's cut from that cloth, but you kind of see the way these guys are criticized or praised. Who is pra praising them and who is criticizing them? You see what kind of people those people are when you see the kind of praise and criticism of Chris Paul, right? The people that are, by and large, those people that are like, Man, I don't understand why he has to do this at Pride and things like that. Well, I'll, I can kind of see some things in life with you, player. I can kind of see how you kind of go about life. Logan, you know one, what I mean? one, 110%. Yeah. What happens to someone watching the NBA from the outside is because you're so invested as a fan, you think that everyone in that uniform is as invested in winning as you are. It's simply not true. It's and not. that's in life. That's in that's life. In life. It's not just sports. The NBA is a microcosm of, of society, bro. Like, there are plenty of people there clocking into a job because they're really good at it. They've been super blessed with talent and size and all of that. They're not there singularly focused on winning basketball games. Right? It could Some be about the just bread. to get paid. It could yep. be about the celebrity. It could be about any number of things. But Chris Paul and the ones you just talked about, there's a singular focus there. We're here to it win, ain't about dog. the money with them. Like, I, I know it's weird to say that, but 
I could, it's not about the, at a certain point, it's not about the bread, man. It's about really wanting to do it. Cause the, we know this when people get paid and stuff like that, they are, some of them just like, okay, I got paid. I don't really care anymore. I'm chilling. But like those rare people, like, like the people we just named literally just hoop, man. You know, Steph has that in him, you know, like, mm. You know, it might not be like looked at, but like all the greats have that in them to a certain degree where it's just about who I, you know, I know we shit on, like, I know he gets shitted on, on social media. Kevin has that in him. Kyrie has that in him. All these people that are singularly great have that oomph in them to where they're just going to like, I'm going to fucking push myself to exhaustion. Obviously, LeBron has that. But like, I think Chris Paul is, a, is a sh- I used to be annoyed with, you know, a lot of the antics and things like that. But the mindset, like it is what it is. You can, it, it goes through the screen you can tell and you can learn a lot of life um through these guys if you just you know like actually look at them and their mindset and just take away all the all your jealousies and all of your things you can really like learn a lot of shit from them and i'm not saying chris paul can't be a dick i'm not he, saying he you're is. saying that no but, yeah i'm not saying no, that, that but that's is. all part of he, it it's all yeah i'm yes. cool with that that's part of the thing bro yes you fucking like yes anything that makes like Raja Bell fucking clothesline a motherfucker. You know what I mean? I know that you, I knew that you were cut different from a different, and like being around you, I could just tell, bro. Like, like I would like to think, because since Kobe and I, we, we were cool after that. It took a moment, right? But I would like to think that a, that a guy like Kobe, and he's said it as much to me, um, and I've had some of his friends say it to me, like he fucked with you because he knew what you were about, right? So like great ones like that, even in that moment, like Logan, like that's what they're looking for in teammates a lot of the time. You know what I'm saying? That's what they yes. admire about their peers. Not necessarily me, but their peers. Like they, they, they want someone who's built like that to ride with them, you know? And, and so, you know, just not everyone, you just take for granted that everyone in the NBA is built like that and everyone is not. I, I think that's even in life too, man. Cause I remember, and this is like a real thing that we're just kind of taking the car, the, 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 uh, taking the curtain back from real ones. Like, Bro, I remember when uh, we got paired together and it's just like, I don't, man, I hope that he, you know, wants this as much as I do. Like, I hope that like Raja wants this, like I'm really invested into this, whatever this is going to be, right? Whatever this NBA show is going to be, I'm really invested in it. And I hope he is too. But I remember just thinking like early on in this process, just like, oh, Raja, Raja's locked in, you know? Raj is ready to Raj is locked in. He's ready to go. He wants to, he wants this. And that was refreshing. Cause like, bruh, I swear if that was the other case, like, bruh, I would be pissed. I would be fucking pissed. And I'd imagine yeah. that's what like a lot of these guys feel like. And that's the only comparison I can probably give because like, I'm not no hooper or whatever, but I do know that mindset of like, bruh, like we really want a common goal. We're going to figure this out. We're going to, f- we're going to make this the best it can be. But that's, and if you put it in those terms, and it's weird, when you put it in those terms, I feel like normal civilians and people know what I'm talking about. But then when you go into, like, put it in basketball terms, you put the money in it, they all of a sudden forget. Like, they're like, what the, well, I don't get why you would be mean. But like, nah, bro, we want the best product out. And we will, we want this. And we just want similar minded people in the, in the trenches with us because this is a hard job to do. It's a, it's a great it's a great so, way to put yeah. it it's a great way it's a great way to boil it down and and you're right man you just want you want people that are about it like you're about it that's what you want yeah let's take a quick break and uh we have something for you a guest mm-hmm. 
This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two for five dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. And we are back. And we have a guest, Roger Bell. We do have a guest. He wrote a great wrote a great article. It was near and dear to my heart. Yeah, yeah. It was. It, I know it touched you. It pulled at your heartstrings. We have Paolo Ugetti, NBA writer for the Ringer in the motherfucking building, had a really good piece on the struggles with ten day contracts in the NBA in the COVID world. Now, Paolo, big fan of your work. What was the the biggest thing that you that you got that the biggest thing that opened your eyes while reporting this story? Because we know that. 10-day deals are hard to come by in general for NBA players. They are it's a, it's a hard game. But what was the biggest thing you learned in the COVID world what NBA players go through during this process? For sure. Thanks thanks for having me guys. Um I think the thing that stood out to me was the fact well two things. First, well there were around the same amount of 10-day deals given out so far this season as there is on average in a year. But when you look at mm-hmm. how many of those deals have been converted to end of the season deal, a number was way lower. So I thought that was interesting, you know, and I think when I started talking to some of these guys, I think the thing that stood out was that normally, you know, you could bounce around, have 10 day in Sacramento, 10 day in New York, et cetera, you know, but now with the protocols and the testing and the travel restrictions, it just made everything feel a lot more tense and more and, and difficult. Not to mention the fact that, you know, everybody's kind of scrambling to try to find a job, you know, it, for these guys, it's kind of like yeah. you're trying to find your spot. And so you have to maintain not just your basketball, like well-being and health, but also your actual health. Because, you know, if you test positive, the team, you know, there's less willingness to sign it. So yeah. I think those two things stood out. That's uh, So I was reading in the article about Tim Frazier, to your point, having to make the decision to not train at home with his family, but go out to Arizona and train kind of remotely just to minimize the, the chance to, 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 you know, be infected so that, if he got called, he could, you know, kind of be out of town. I couldn't imagine that as someone that was at home training when I got called or I was, I was back in like the CBA USBL playing. Um, that has to be really, really difficult. I do want to ask though, like when I played, you'd have a lot of guys bounce around on 10 days. Not everyone would stick right away, but teams would tend to load up right before the playoffs. Right. And that's kind of how I got on. And then you wind up sticking through the playoffs. So did you get any indication one way or another, whether teams towards the end of the season are going to say, all right, now we're going to grab a couple pieces to ride into the playoffs just so our decks are stacked. Yeah, well, the interesting thing about this season in particular is there are a lot of guys coming in and out because there's, you know, like especially at the beginning of the season, there was positive tests and like the the rosters were expanded and all that. But I think it was interesting because uh, one of the guys I talked to, Tyler Cook, had already been signed for the end of the year deal. And when I reached out to Tim to talk to Tim, Tim Frazier, he was still on a second 10, a second 10 day with the Grizzlies. And literally the day I talked to him hours before the Grizzlies let him know that they were signing him through the, rent, through the rest of the season. So, and then after the article came out a day later, Rondé Hollis Jefferson got signed through the end of the season. So it seems like there is more as, as we get closer to the playoffs, teams are decide making those decisions. I think the Kings also did it with Damian Jones. And then they waived uh, Chris Silva to sign Chimezi Metu to a two, uh, uh, two-year contract or something like that. So it's a, there's a lot of the shuffling going on, and that's where these guys you know, are hoping that they stick, which some of them have. 
Paolo, do you I, do you think that this you know because that was one of the things that you that you referenced early on was the percentage of players that um, that stick on for the remainder of the season versus and historically I think historically it was twenty to forty percent of the players stay mm-hmm. on for the rest of the season and they get their deals converted to that this year that was nine percent mm-hmm. and I know that has a lot to do with what you said the COVID restrictions and things like that and. Do you think that this year is just an anomaly with that, or do you think that next year it'll, it'll return to form and get to that 20 to 40% range? Yeah, it's interesting because I think that uh, somebody like Tim Frazier was talking about how this season actually opened up opportunities for some guys in terms of the young young guys going on two-way deals and mm-hmm. you know being able to bounce back from the G League and, 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 um, and the pro team. But also the G League showcase was limited too. So there was only yeah. a, a few amount of games. So I think next season if there's a full g league season you might have more of, of those guys you know and more and more teams willing to, to to sign those guys there's more opportunities for them to to play and to showcase their talent so i think i think it'll start trending back up maybe i think this is i mean this year is an anomaly for a lot of different reasons so i i feel like it, we almost can't take it as though this is the trend going forward because i feel like guys i mean teams are still going to need these guys toward the end of the season injuries you're just trying to fill in min- minutes here and there trying to take a chance on a guy like the Blazers, for example, with Rondé Hollis Jefferson, I think last night he was the first center off the bench. So they're playing him in a small ball lineup and they're just kind of grasping for, for something different on defense. So he's been able to come and fill that role too. Um, This is, I'll get to a question in a minute, but I was coming out of the CBA. I had made, you know, I don't know. I hadn't made a lot of bread. So the 40 racks that I got for my 10 day, before it ever got converted was was like more money than I was making in a CBA season. So they changed my world. Some of these guys already have had pro deals like Tim and, and Rondé. So they've got, you know, it's not like they're not going to eat if they get the 10 day. But I am curious, what is a 10 day going for these days? Like I need to know. It's uh, I think it's just a minimum. I believe I think it's just a minimum, the, the minimum contract. I believe I, I don't maybe quote me on that. Maybe I should have included that, but, but yeah, it's, I think it's just the, the, the minimum. And then it gets switched. If it gets switched to uh, um, a multi-year non-guaranteed. They get guaranteed for the rest of the season, and the next season is uh, non-guaranteed. But they can go through the training camp, which a lot of these guys mentioned, because they're able yeah. to stay with with the team for a longer period of time and try to actually build something there. Got it. So. Yeah, and and how does this uh, has have you seen powerhouse? This has affected maybe team building, right? Because you have less you have less players going getting converted to. Um, to four-year, multi-year deals. And do you think that that, does that help or hurt team building going forward in terms of like, hey, man, we or is it just a matter of, hey, we just, the guy just didn't work out, it's fine? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always like kind of surprised by how, and I, it makes sense, I mean, how quickly teams kind of just go through guys. <laughs> like, on, you know, especially toward the bottom of the roster, like, it's like, he, he's waived, you know, 10, 10 day, and then he doesn't stick around. So I feel like, as you know, the teams are probably looking at it from the business angle and also just from the, okay, we're going to try different things. And and then, you know, if this guy doesn't work out, then like next guy, you know, which is tough because I feel like that's part of the reason I was interested in the story. And really, I think some of the stories I've been interested in the, over the last like year and a half since the pandemic was trying to like humanize uh, the, what's happening to players lately, you know, and, and being like, well, yeah, like obviously the NBA now more than ever is having to prioritize business you know, and, but these players are caught in the middle, right. And it's, whether it's, you know, the two way guys, the 10 day guys, the international guys, and there's always like a hustle that's happening behind the scenes that I feel like people are not always so, so aware of, or like the things that guys have to do to, to stick and, 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 you know, 
get paid. <laughs> I always found it fascinating because like there were a lot of guys sitting out this year that you wouldn't, you know, if you're not really watching rosters, you probably don't even realize that they're not in the league. You allude to that in the piece. Um, I always found it kind of fascinating, Logan, that like you could sometimes be too good in this space if you're sitting around to to really make the 10 day. Because teams, if you look at them like puzzles, like most of the bigger pieces of that puzzle are already kind of in place. They're looking for a really specific piece. Like, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the time, they're looking for yes. something really specific. And so when you talk about a guy coming in and they're going through players, you know, they may look at me and say, hey, I need a wing defender that can knock down shots. And I get in there and, I, and I'm, I'm just not able to like handle the ball as much as they want. So they're looking for really specific things. And there are instances where guys are just kind of maybe too good. You know, a team would be like, he's too good. Like I had an instance where, you know, Oklahoma City, not Oklahoma, I'm sorry, it was New Orleans. And I had a friend in the New Orleans building. Um, and I was sitting at home waiting for a call and they called and they kicked the tires and I was, I thought I was going to go up and they never called again. And, and he called me and he said, yeah, they were just, they were afraid that you were just, you know, too good to really want to come in here and do what they were going to ask you to do. And, and so they didn't go through with it. And so that's, you know, that's another piece of it. They're looking for something very, very specific when they're giving out possibly that last contract. Were you like, yo, bro, I'm not too good. I'm over here. I'm, I, I'm literally here to take a, a 10 day. Like I'm here to take a yeah, 10 day. What I'm do you like, mean nature, I'm too good to take a 10 day? The nature of my situation suggests that I yeah. am not too good. I am sitting here waiting yeah. for someone to call. But they had oh, their yeah. mind wrapped up. And they, I mean, you know, it was their call. And so it, it was what it was. But in Philly, they had lost um, uh, um, in the trade for Dikembe Mutombo. They sent um, Pepe Sanchez to Atlanta. And they couldn't get him back in time to make their playoff roster. And they needed a big guard. Um, someone who could defend because they had Allen defending ones and they had like the Eric Snows of the world guarding twos. So I theoretically could come in. They thought maybe I could play the one a little bit, but definitely guard twos. And that's what they needed. And so that, that's how I get picked. Not because I'm better than anybody, but because I fit that mold. And when I got there, I defended. Yeah. And I feel like for some guys, like, like for example, for Rondé, like he said in the piece, he didn't really expect to be here like at, at this point, you know? And so now he's kind of having to re- trigger his mindset to being like, okay, I'm going to come in and fill this exact role. When before it was like, oh no, I'm a role player, which is a little bit of a different thing. So that yeah. was interesting too. Yep. One of the things that I, I saw, which was the story that I saw was Tyler Cook, who was a guy that is a good young prospect, but had kind of dealt with the politics of the NBA. I, I think one of the things that you wrote about was, um, you know, he had an opportunity in Brooklyn, but as soon as that, um, as soon as Blake Griffin became available, it was like, nah, kick rocks. It doesn't matter how good you are. And this is just what it is. Did you sense like for a guy like that, was there frustration when you listen, when you hear a guy like that, it's like, yo man, I, I'm trying to get into the league. It's, it's not as, it's not as easy as I'm thinking. It's not has nothing to do with my game necessarily. It seemed, it seemed like he went into the situation and very quickly found out that like, you know, Blake Griffin's coming. And, and I, it's when I, I tried asking him about that, like, what was, how, how was it? Like, was that frustrating? And he, he kind of was like, I mean, he's an, he's a multi-time all-star. Like I, you, you kind of just shrug your shoulders and accept it. Right. Which was like kind of a good mindset on his end. But I think, well, I, maybe he found frustrating what the beginning was the limited amount of opportunities he got to show, not just in Brooklyn, but in the G league showcase before, like there's only a few games. So that was, he was really banking on those games in the G league showcase to be able to get the next thing. So when he got it and that, that it worked out, it was like, okay, where is it going to, where is it going to come from next? But when the Pistons called, there was a different mindset because he knew that, okay, they, they, they're more of a, you know, rebuilding team. There's an opportunity there. And it seemed to him like right away from the moment he got there, that if you just put in the work that 
there was going to be an opportunity for them to invest in him, which, you know, is not something that maybe he got in Brooklyn for obvious reasons because of the type of team that they are. So he took it pretty well. For sure. For sure. Well, thank you, Paolo. Thanks for coming on, man. You can read his work at The Ringer. One of our best NBA writers, man. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Come again. No, thank you and, for having and me. we love your jacket. Thank you. you have a fire jacket. jacket. I, I love don't, all I don't your know jackets. Fire jacket. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I don't know if you guys see this. Let me just paint the picture real quick. He has on a brown velvet-like jacket. He has the. It looks it's like, like it's like a uh, it's like a mustard yellow. Mmm, <laughs> little mustard yeah. yellow. Okay, okay. It's like members only vibe. It's kind of fire, bro. Like thrift store vibes, you know. There you go, man. Saucy, yeah, you're saucy out here, man. Thank you so much, Paolo. Thanks for having me, guys. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. And we are back. Shout out to Paolo coming on. I want to talk about something else. We talked about the 10-day grind. Let's talk about... Someone who's been in a league for a very long time, and it's so opposite of the 10-day grind. It is Tevin Love and what he did in Tampa, Toronto. Toronto, Tampa. Toronto, Tampa. Toronto? Tampa? Let's go with Tampa. Mm. Tampa. Toronto? Tampa. The Toronto, Tampa Raptors? The Traptors. The, game. the Traptors. The Traptors. Hey. Hey. What? Your robot. Hey. <laughs> the Traptors. He was playing against the Traptors. <laughs> And the game, it's in the third quarter. The game was within reach, right? There's a basket being scored as baskets do get scored. In the NBA, mm-hmm. you miss a defensive assignment. Something happens. You're still in the game. I think they were down like three points, the, the, the um, Cavs were, or something along those lines. The Traptors make a jump shot. Kevin Love throws the ball at the stanchion. <laughs> the ball goes to a Raptors player. He hits a three. <laughs> And after that, what was a sizable, you know, was a manageable deficit turns into a sizable deficit. And Kevin Love throws the ball at the Stanson, walks off, and is just like, just, yeah, just walks off and is like, yeah, whatever. And like, it looks like he fucking quits on his team. That's the optics. Now, Kevin Love apologized, didn't say, said it didn't think it, when he was in the moment, didn't think it was as bad as it looked on television. He fully owned it, yada, yada, yada. That would be good. That'd be all good and well. This wasn't one of the first wasn't the first time that he's done something like this. 
I remember a time last year where he was mad about Colin, I think it was Colin Sexton, a pass that he did, and he just fucking threw the ball very hard at Seti Osman and just was like, like, what the fuck? And this is like one of those other things where he just like, why would you do that as a leader, right? At least optics. Why would you do that as a leader? Um, Kevin Love is a veteran, has an accomplished career, you know, a t- won a championship, you know, has made some all-star teams, has, you know, made a lot of money in this league. And now he's on a team where he has to be OG Kevin Love. He has to be the OG in the locker room. It's a set of example. These are two big things where he has not set the example. Raja, do you think this hurts his standing in the locker room as a quote-unquote leader when you do stuff like that? Yeah, no question. Um, there's no question that there are ramifications within the locker room um, <clears throat> when things happen. Here's what I don't know. I don't know. Clearly, I don't know what he is so frustrated about, right? Because clearly he's frustrated and he's, and he's at its wit's end. Um, I can relate to that. I've been frustrated. There was a play. Um, we were in Madison Square Garden. I was with the Jazz. Jerry had retired. Um, we did not share the ball. We had a unit where everyone was looking to kind of carve out a name for themselves in the league. I was not there for that. I was trying to win. Uh, something happened. I had been wide open four times. They didn't pass me the ball. Someone went one on four, shot a shot. Um, and I did not get back on defense. I did not. I stood right where I was and I did not get back. And so the next day, um, Tyrone Corbin calls me into his office or into, into his hotel suite and asked me what's happening. And I was like, you know what? I fucked up, but here's why I fucked up. I'm just frustrated where we're at. I don't feel like we're playing together. I don't feel like we're sharing the ball. So this was my story. That was my frustration. I had to own the fact that I did not get back on D. Um, Same way Kevin Love. I don't know what his frustration is. If it's with his teammates, and he shows this in practice a lot, um, and now he's having outbursts on the court, I'm sure there could be some people in the the organization and, and within the locker room looking at him sideways like that. If it's a general frustration of being on a team that is in a transition phase and it, it, their window and timeline for success doesn't necessarily sync up with his. I think some people would understand like, you know, this is a platform. Now I'm not, I'm not saying he's right for that. Kevin Love makes $30 million a year, Logan. He makes 30 million a year and we can't all be in a situation we want to be in. That's the way it goes. I know firsthand, but I also know that you can get salty in that situation. It can bring out the worst in you. Right. So while I will talk shit about Kevin Love, like because he got to be better than that. Like he's he makes $30 million a year and you kind of owe it to some of those young dudes to to be what Kobe Altman and company need you to be, which is an elder statesman holding it down, teaching them the ropes. Those situations can bring out the worst in you when you're in one that you don't want to be in where things aren't going well. And I'm not saying that it's not run well there in Cleveland because I don't know, but his attitude would lead me to believe that things are going on behind closed doors that 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 Kevin Love knows aren't the way to do things. And that's the way I could best put it. I have two points on this. There was a time at the beginning of the of your current deal that you're making 30 mil on. And shout out to you for getting to the bag, bro. Like, I'm not even hating on you getting to the bag. The, the thing that I'm saying, though, is when you signed said deal, we knew LeBron was out of there. You know, we knew that this was going to be a rebuilding phase. You knew that this was going to happen, right? We you sign you literally signed up for this, right? And there have been plenty of times where 
at least on the outward perspective, there have been rumors that you might get dealt. Now, I don't know if there was deals in place. I don't know about that. But there were times where there were that you, you know, there were rumors that they were that you were going to get dealt. And when those rumors come ahead, you could be like, you know, there's two things that you can do with that. You can be like, trade me. Okay, cool. Trade me. Because players of that magnitude have the ability to say, yeah, I would like to be traded. He's never done that. He's saying, I am locked into Cleveland. This is all the outward perspective, right? This is what we hear. This is this is on record. Mm-hmm. You have been saying, I want to work this out in Cleveland. I want to do all these things in Cleveland. I want to do this. I want to get this done in Cleveland. I want to be a part of this rebuild. I don't want to leave. I don't want to go to a contender. I want to be right here in Cleveland. Well, this is what's going to happen when if you do that, yeah. right? That's fair. And my second point is, yo, if you keep doing this, you're not going to help your standing around the league when you do, if if or when you do want to leave or if and when you do just get fed up with this because it's like, bro, we want you to be a guy in the locker room that is going to help our ball club, right? And then get your stuff off and then get your numbers and you figure it out. But when you're throwing balls at stanchions, when you're undermining like some the future of the team and you're not really helping them, that's when you get a... a that's when you get a divided locker room. That's when you get um, you get one of the young guys, I forget who it is, liking a tweet saying uh, Kevin Love has stolen X amount of dollars from this organization. Oh, that's right? tough. That's when you get those that's, that's when you get those types of things, though. That's when you get those things when you're not leading that example. It's okay to be the guy that gets the bag in the locker room. It's okay, but if you you have to have I feel like there's a mindset that you have to have when you get into that that role. If you're gonna be a mentor, be a mentor. And I don't. I think these two um, instances haven't shown that yo. I'm in it with you guys. It's not. It's just like fuck. I'm pissed now, and I'm gonna make an ass out of myself. And now I have to. Now it's gonna be a thing when we're trying to build something. We're not trying to build controversy. We're trying to build up a culture of winning. So um, I was disappointed to see that from Kevin. I think that's all fair. Um, Look, uh, let me let me go back to you saying like you asked for the trade. I mean, you get the media doesn't. I mean, I mean, I could have asked for a trade. My situation, I've told my my story time and time again. Kevin O'Connor asked, Do I want to trade? I didn't want to be that dude. I didn't want to quit on it. Like, there's something to be said for that. I should have said, Yes, trade me now in retrospect. Give me out. Because it would have, it, I wouldn't have festered and it wouldn't become what it became. And I think Kevin loves kind of in that situation right now. But you can't win if you're a player asking, How many players have asked to have been traded? And, and and fans come out and say, yes, dude, good call. Good call. You need to get out of here, man. We support that. Nobody. You get crucified asking for a trade. Um, secondly, what happened in the... We go through the, psycho, the psychology, I guess, of the Kevin Love career. Kevin Love was, whether you think the numbers support it or not, or it, they were valid or inflated being in, in Minnesota, those teams not winning. Like, I have my stance on it. I think those numbers were slightly inflated. But he was a star, no, he was. It's okay. It's just my opinion. He was a star, though, in the NBA. Like, he was Kevin Love. He was a perennial all-star. He was Kevin Love, man. And so, this all happened to Kevin Love. It, uh, over the span of a career, you have a natural arc of, like, if you're a star coming into the league, boom, then you get your stardom. It plateaus for a while. Maybe you peak a little bit, and then, you know, there's a graceful kind of fall. This all happened to Kevin Love so fast, right? Boom. Yanked out of Minnesota, be the third option in Cleveland. Not the second, the third. Here, take this. So, Kyrie's going to eat. LeBron's going to eat. You shut up and do what you're supposed to do, but you're going to win a championship, right? Boom. So you got that. And then real quickly, the rug was yanked out from under him. Now we can argue whether he took the bag 
or or and and that was prudent, or he should have went somewhere else for less money where he could continue to to play. But he took the bag, and then you go into rebuild mode, and we can't really use you, Kevin Love. And so now you're on. Now you've been cast like there was no plateau of your career, really. Like there was no graceful like decline. This was all really really fast, and the money is supposed to like take away all of the feelings that go with that. And I don't think that's fair because you're going to feel some kind of way. Yeah, I make a lot of money. And I am also saying at 30 million, you have a responsibility to do your job, but it doesn't just take away all of the feelings and all of the emotion that go into, damn, what happened to my fucking career? Like, what? Yeah. look at me. Like, yeah, I mean, that's fair, that's fair too, right? Like, fuck, I was that's sitting fair. here five years ago, six years ago. It was all good. How the fuck did I get here? And I think Kevin I was Love just is in the going finals three or four seasons ago. I was just in the NBA finals. I'm not even I'm getting DNPs now. I'm sitting down like I, I think, you know, Kevin Love is dealing with some of that, too. And I think it's fair to look at it from that lens as well. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. That's fair. That's fair. But then what's the solution then, Roger? Because I think that's the biggest thing, right? Like I, I do. I do sympathize with. Uh, K Love going through that. I do sympathize with that. But what's the solution, right? Is it Kobe Altman? Is it a talk? Kobe Altman yeah. and the Cleveland Cavs need to do what's right by Kevin Love. Kevin Love held them down. Like it was mutually beneficial. He took the bag, but it kept them to some degree having a star in building and so on and so forth, right? Instead of the, the mass exodus that would have been stars out of Cleveland, you, you held on to one, kept you afloat to some degree. Um, do, what's, do what's right, both of you guys. Like come, I don't know what he's got left on his deal. So, but there's got to be some buyout situation in the near future, maybe next season, where Kevin Love can leave, go to somewhere where whatever's left in his tank can be put on display and he can help contribute to a winning organization. If there, I, I don't imagine anyone's trading for that contract um, right now. You know, maybe that's a, uh, an expiring deal at some point. But I think the Cavs and Kevin have to figure it out. And it starts with the Cavs. Kobe, you need to let the man go. Like, that's not helping. It can't be helping what you have going on in your building. No, no, it can't. And I think it would be, you know, at a point in time. And it's love, too. Like, at a point in time, you just got to part ways, man. It's just not, it's just, it's just his, I think he has about nearly $60 million left on his deal. Get to the, Kevin Love getting to the bag. Kevin Love. <laughs> Kevin Love getting to the baggage claim. Like, yeah. Kevin's straight. Kevin's straight, dog. Look, work that out. You guys sit down, yeah. break a little bread, mend fences, and how, how, Kobe, like real talk, if I'm Kevin Love, and Kobe's my man. Hey, Kobe, how the fuck can I get out of here? You tell me. What's this need to look yeah. like? Can, let's let's start the negotiation because I need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, Kevin's made enough money to where that'll be good. Like, it's fine. But yeah, I, I, I do hope that works out because, man, there's some potential in Cleveland. There is. There's some potential in Cleveland. We'll see what happens, but you can't have those two instances like that to build a team. It's just, I, I, you can't do it. And I, and I get everything that Kevin's going through. At the end of the day, you can't have that, especially on television, especially in this day it's and terrible age. Look. You know, it's terrible look. Terrible look. Terrible look. Um, before we get out of here, because this is something that we talked about in the pre-pod meeting um, that you guys aren't privy to, so we just give you a little peek to the pre-pod meeting. Um, we were talking about Kevin Love's performance on the back side of his career um, and you know, not necessarily, at least from outward, taking on that challenge of being that guy. At his time, and then you juxtapose that with a Russell Westbrook who is going, who went to a Washington team who hasn't been good and very vilified throughout his career. Fair and unfair, who knows? But he's, but we're going to use this opportunity for Raja to give Russell Westbrook his flowers. Oh, I know you fair or unfair. I, I know the answer. It is unfair. 
Now, you tell me, you tell me you didn't win a championship. I got you. I hear you 100%. But that man is built from everything that you want a basketball player to be built from. You could argue that he doesn't shoot the jumper in an analytically driven world, in a, in a, in a world where we put stock into space and, and being able to shoot the three. I got you. I'm not saying he's a great shooter. I'm still telling you, he's built from every single damn piece of DNA that you want a competitive athlete to be built from. He plays at 110% every single minute of every single game. I coach basketball. I know how rare that is. I know how hard it is to get people to do that. This man does it on a professional level. You throw him in different situations. This one in Washington, it sucked. We were talking about Bradley Beal needed to get traded out of there like they got. They can't figure it out. Yeah, It was ugly at the beginning. People were crucifying Russ. What's the man done, Logan? What's he done? Put he in, just put in triple double after triple fucking double. And I'm gonna be real. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna be real because I'm not. I'm not. I'm not fake. I was really hesitant about this pairing. You could go look it up. I was hesitant about this pairing because Russell Westbrook was coming off an injury. He was hurt last time. He was coming off of COVID. We saw. We can both agree, me and you. We saw the worst of Russell Westbrook in that bubble for whatever reason. He was hurt. He didn't play well. Right. So that's the last thing I can think of. And I wasn't and I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't in I I wasn't all in on Russ. And I love Russ. This is your this this hey look, I'm glad you said that because this is even I'm further, just eating my words. I'm eating my it's words. It's great. It's even further proving my point. In a day and an age where mofos won't play if they got a hangnail, this man mm-hmm. is in the bubble post-COVID with a hamstring injury, looking like shit. And listen to all y'all talk about him, but he doesn't care. He's still out yes. there pouring it on the line for his team, bro. Okay, I would say I'm, I'm going to push you back on that one. I'm not going to say he doesn't care because if I'm not going to say he doesn't care because he acknowledged it. Okay, he acknowledged our our the shit that we as a collective media has said, and he is. I would say instead he has internalized it in a positive, constructive way. It's typical media, bro. You're taking resp- you're taking responsibility for Russ internalized. You guys have created Russ. No, I'm not. You, no, you no, guys no, no, have no, no, created no, 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 Russ. No, 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 no. We haven't. No, 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 no. We have not created <laughs> Russ. Russ created Russ. Russ did his fucking thing. He was always, this has always been a narrative on Russ, but like he has done, put in the work and he has done that shit. He just internalized it good. Russ is a motherfucker, bro. Russ, motherfucker, Russ comes yes. to play. Every minute, every game. And, and to the triple-double. Like, people are going to tell me hollow stats. Like, I've heard all the arguments. I listen, I was not a star in the NBA, right? I was a double-digit scorer as a career. I scored double-digits as a career. I wasn't bad. You know, you know what I'll tell you, though? I'm better than 99% of the motherfuckers walking the planet playing basketball. High-five. Yeah, high-five. Yeah, high I don't five. do that regularly. High but five, I'll tell it. you that. Now, I'll also tell you this. You know how many triple-doubles I have in a career playing basketball, not just at the NBA level? How many? None. Mm, in high school, it's I, fucking hard. In high school, I averaged 28 points a game. Multiple 40-point, 20-rebound games. I still have to fill an assist or a steal category with double digits. It is a very hard fucking thing to do. And people marginalize that shit and try to normalize it. And it's really, really, really difficult to, at any level. You know level. what I want to say? You know what I'd like to say about that? This is one thing, and this is probably me going to be bashing the media, but guess what? I don't really care. Um... I don't like how we try to minimize greatness in this game. I don't like it. Like, we can talk about, we can, you know, 
we can talk, we can criticize, and that's very much in our right to do that, right? But I feel, I think the biggest thing that we've seen, I think it's a lesson, like during Russ's MVP run, we try to discredit it so much, so much as triple doubles. And then he fucking did it again the next year, right? No one had done that since Oscar Robertson, bro. Bro. Like decades, lifetimes ago. But he went and did that for a whole season. We didn't give him his flowers then. There was always some kind of, well, he didn't do this. Well, he didn't do this. Instead of just looking at the totality of the season and being like, bro, this was fucking impressive. This was so impressive. And it's not like his teammates are like, fuck Russ. No, man. He's whack. He's whack. Nah, bro. If you ask any one of Russ's teammates, they swear by him. Yes. So I, I just don't like, I think Russ is an interesting case study in how we cover the league because we always discredit greatness in this time to try to build somebody else up or try to do that. In a lot of ways, we did that to build Kevin up when he didn't need it because he was great in his own right. Both could be great. It didn't work out between the two, but Russ is really good. And we, I think we made him a villain in a lot of ways. And I think that, that messed up our ability to see his greatness because we wanted a villain. We wanted to sell a lot of this fucking idea of a game when that really just wasn't it, bro. Like, you just pit two men against each other, bro. And I thought that was just whack in general. And I just think that how we've covered, historically covered Russ has been kind of whack. It has been whack. And I think we'll go back. Yeah. It has been whack. And I take it a step further, Logan, because on the court, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not open for argument on the court. I don't want to hear shit, yeah. all right? Other than the threes and you don't have a championship. Fine, I'll give you that. I don't want to hear shit because I know, I know what it takes to go out there and do that every night. But the man is like a model citizen off the court, Right? Like philanthropic efforts, never in trouble, conducts himself the way you would want a, a pro to conduct themselves. And, and, and so you throw all of that into the pot and I am with you 100%. Like, what are we talking about? Why must, my, why must he catch that kind of flag? I think because, and this is, you're going to probably be triggered by this, Raja, but it goes back to our media player conversation. And I think why there's such a divide, bro, because Russ historically doesn't talk to the media. He doesn't. He has probably been given some of the most, the best answers he's ever given now in Washington. But for the most part, it was like, I don't want to talk. I don't want to do that. And then also like, you know, the, you got the thing with Barry Tremel that, you know, the columnist where he was just, where there was a back and forth there. But there was always a, a combative relationship between Russ and the media. And we see this time and time again when a player doesn't want to talk to the media how they get vilified. We even saw that this year with, with, with Kyrie. And I'm not saying that's a different, that's a different example, but in the, in the, in the case of Russell, I think a big, a big thing was he didn't want to talk to us. So he didn't want to give us the answers that we thought we deserved. And I think that we vilified. Here's what I'm going to say to that. And, and knowing full well, I'm a member of the media now. Okay. Here's what I'm going to say. It's the same thing I say about referees. You're not the fucking show. You're not the show. Media, I am not the show anymore. I was at one point part of the show. I'm not the show. So as it pertains to Russell like Westbrook, just because that man don't feel like talking or giving you what you want doesn't mean you have to slander him with every article you get. It is not. Now, you're going to tell me, yeah, it's part of, it's part of his job. He's got to give a quote. Nobody says he's got to give a good one. Nobody says he got to get up there and bear his soul. They just say he's got to fulfill a requirement of media availability. And so if a person is... Uh, 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 you know, an, to some degree, an introvert or, you know, they're prickly and they don't want to address the media all the time, but they have to do it. And they're there and they don't necessarily give you good quotes. Don't take that shit out with your pen or your typewriter or your fucking keyboard. You ain't the show. I have, I have a, um, I have an example about this happening and, 
Um, I remember one time we were in, I, w- I was with the Warriors and we were in Miami, right? We were, uh, we were, I think Jordan Poole, who we've talked about on the show very briefly, uh, had one of his first good games of his career. Now, Jordan at the time, and I don't know how he is now because I'm not really going to beat now, but I know Jordan at the time didn't really talk to media like that. Like, and when he did, it was very short answers. He wasn't trying to, and I remember talking to him about it. He was like, I'm not trying, I'm really just trying to focus on the game. I'm not trying to focus on my quotes and things like that. I'm trying to focus on my game because as of right now, I'm not playing well and I want to get like into a good place. And so I remember during the media session, he was giving really like very quick answers, right? So. I noticed that about him and I was like, okay, he's not answering no questions. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go around and ask his teammates about his journey to this point and paint a bigger picture. I'm not going to rely on Jordan Poole to give me quotes because he, clearly he don't want to talk. What I, when I, The overall point I'm trying to say is if somebody's not giving you a quote, one person's not giving you a quote, there are a whole bunch of other players in that locker room that are more than willing to talk about this player, especially if they like him. You go, just, just do your job. That's all I'm saying. There's another. There's all other things that you can do to still tell a story about a person without taking it out on the person that doesn't want to give you a quote, bro. Like I, you, like I said, I defer to like you I in said, that space. Like I think it's, I think that's great advice to journalists. Like, is, I, is, I, is, that, is that? I feel like that's fair, right? If, if Roger don't want to talk to me, I'm gonna talk to. Uh, let's see if I can get a quote from Nash on how Steve's been, uh, how how Roger's been doing. I'm doing that, right? But. I feel like there's a lot of feelings involved or whatever when someone doesn't want to talk to you, bro. And as as my guy, Coach Alonzo Carter from San Jose State says, get your feelings out to shit. Get your feelings, get out. Your feelings out to shit and make sure that you just do your job, bro. If fucking Russ doesn't want to talk, don't take it out on Russ. Go get a quote from somebody else, man, and go tell a, a complete story about him. And that's really what it is. Just, it might be a little harder, but shit, that's job. why we're in this business. I would also, let me follow up because I think that's great. I, I, I really think that's fan, phenomenal. We talk about this a lot. And this is just my personal experience. Came into the league. Nobody knew me. Didn't give a shit about me. Never got an interview. Fine. Soon as I did something in the finals and in the Eastern Conference finals, 35 reporters did my thing every time. Go to the finals. I'm part of the discussion. Like they want to talk to me, right? Next year, I'm not even on the radar in Philly. I sit the whole year. Not a reporter in my locker ever. Don't give two shits about me. So you start right. to realize as a player that you don't give a sh- you don't care about me. You just care about the story. And so what I would say mm-hmm. is what I always say about reporters. If you want to then come to me when I'm when I'm a story again, check in on me when I'm not doing great, bro. Check in on me, bro. Ask me how I'm feeling, man. When I'm in my locker looking dejected, I got a tear in my eye because I don't know if this shit is for me anymore. (laughs) No, seriously, because there are nights like that. And you can see that as a journalist. Come over and tap me on the shoulder and be like, hey, Raj, man, tough year, dog. You all right? And then when I pop back on the scene and you want something, I'd be way more willing to bear my soul to you. I think one of the things that has set journalists apart, the good ones like that I've seen, and the ones that I've kind of tried to model what I do around that I've learned from, I'm talking about, um, you know, Marcus Thompson's, the Mark Spears, the fucking Chris Haynes, the Rachel Nichols, the Candace Buckner's, right? The all these people, what they do is they don't always they talk to the stars, obviously, because you need the stars. But whenever they're, you know, the pre um, like the pregame scrums or whatever mm-hmm. and pre things. They go around the locker room. They just do a lap and talk to everybody to see how they're doing. And also, that's how you get a better picture of the team that you're covering. 
when you're when you're doing that, when you're talking to people. And that's just another thing. But I feel like the the best journalists and the best beat writers go and they they see the totality of it, right? Why isn't Russ talking? Is it because he got burned on this time or this time? And and like you you're able to tell a bigger story when you when you look outside of yourself and everything that has you fucked up. And I just feel like that. I feel I wish Rush got Russ got that fairness. I wish he got that. Like, get your feelings out the shit. We all in this together, bro, and just figure it out. But like to just dismiss somebody and dismiss a triple double MVP season because your feelings hurt is trash. I'm with you 100. Right. I, I, you, you. Uh, here's what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna leave it like this. Anybody got some shit to say about Russ's game? Holla at me, because I'm telling you, I don't want to hear none of that shit. I don't want to hear nothing about what this man comes to bring to a organization night in and night out. That's not debatable. It's real shit. Mm. Speaking of real shit, before we get out of here, let's get to a little segment we like to call Raja Real One of the Motherfucking Week. Real One of the Week, where we talk about a entity, an organization, or a person that just got gets our flowers this this week. I'm gonna start off first because it is it's a real you know I'm usually with the somber ruins. This is not a somber ruin. Shout out to my guy Van Lathan, who got an Oscar uh. for for a, for a short called Two Distant Strangers." That is a, that is tight. Coworker got an Oscar. Shout out to you, Van Lathan. Also got an Oscar on that one. Was uh, was Kevin Durant also got an Oscar for that one? So shout out to them. Um, but shout out Van Lathan, man. That's really cool, man. You know what it is, Van. I don't know how much you listen to the real ones, bro. But shout out to you, my guy. Real one of the week. Bet that. All right, I'm gonna take it back to something I said earlier in the show. I'm going to give a real one of the week to my man, Jay Hoops Jupes, Um, to Monty Williams, Robert Sarver. I'm going to lump you in there in real ones. And the the whole Phoenix Suns organization for being relevant again, for mapping out where they wanted to go, to executing the game plan, and to Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Aiton, all of them cats for holding it down for the Valley because it's back and it's pretty cool to see. Plus, those Valley unis are fire. Phoenix, if any Suns uh, execs are out there listening, I need one of those, dog. Maybe a couple in use mm. sizes. Holla. Real mm, ones. Phoenix mm, Suns. Mm, mm. Phoenix Suns as a staff record label and, and as a, a motherfucking, motherfucking crew. crew. Uh, and if you mm. ain't down with the Phoenix Suns, then you too. Uh, I love how you didn't curse that time. You could have just, okay, all right. That, that was weird. Um, that was another edition of Real Ones, man. It was good to get back in the lab with you and just, you know, like, you know, we usually do the guest thing, but it's always good to get back in the lab with Raja. Mm. Um, make sure you check out all of our NBA podcasts, including the mismatch group chat and the answer. Also check out some of our other, uh, podcasts on the, on the, um, on the ringer slate, including R2C2 with who Vallejo legend, CC Sabathia. Mm. Also <laughs> check out black girl Songbook with town legend, Danielle Smith out here, man. We will see you guys next week. Hollow.